We at Amazing Stories are thankful for and gracefully accept the donations we receive from our listeners from across the world who count on the unique programming we provide. You too can donate through the link provided in the description section of each episode. Please keep in mind that the continued support from our growing audience helps us fulfill our mission of bringing you a new amazing story every day. Thank you for listening, and we hope you continue to enjoy our stories. When Ruth came out of the bathroom, Robert Neville was still sitting there, thinking. The record player, unnoticed by him, let out only a thin, scratching sound. Ruth lifted the record from the turntable and turned it. Well, what about Cortman? she asked, sitting down. He looked at her blankly. Cortman? You were going to tell me something about him and the cross. Oh. Well... One night I got him in here and showed him the cross. Shall I kill her now? Shall I not even investigate, but kill her and burn her? Such thoughts were a hideous testimony to the world he had accepted, a world in which murder was easier than hope. Well, he wasn't that far gone yet, he thought. I'm a man, not a destroyer. When I showed him the cross, he laughed in my face, but when I held a Torah before his eyes... I got the reaction I wanted. I had him tied up, but when he saw the Torah, he broke loose and attacked me. What happened? She seemed to have lost her fright again. Using the Torah, I backed him to the door and got rid of him. Oh. So you see, the cross hasn't the power the legend says it has. My theory is that, since the legend came into its own in Europe, a continent predominantly Catholic, the cross would naturally become the symbol of defense against powers of darkness. Couldn't you use your gun on Cortman, she asked? How did you know I had a gun? I assumed as much, she said. We had guns. Then you must know bullets have no effect on vampires. We were never sure, she said, then went on quickly. Do you know why that's so, why bullets don't affect them? He shook his head. I don't know, he said. He did know, but doubting again, he didn't want to tell her. Through experiments on the dead vampires, he had discovered that the bacilli affected the creation of a powerful body glue that sealed bullet openings as soon as they were made. Bullets were enclosed almost immediately, and since the system was activated by germs, a bullet couldn't hurt it. Shooting vampires was like throwing pebbles into tar. As he sat looking at her, she arranged the folds of the robe around her legs, and he got a momentary glimpse of brown thigh. Far from being attracted, he felt irritated. It was such a typical feminine gesture, he thought, an artificial movement. In a way, he almost regretted having found her at all. Through the years, he had achieved a certain degree of peace. He had accepted solitude, found it not half bad. Now this... The music ended. She got up and he watched her while she looked through his records. She seemed like a young girl. She was so slender. Who is she, he thought. Who is she really? Tell me about yourself, she said. 
Another typical feminine question, he thought. Nothing to tell, he said. She was smiling again. Was she laughing at him? You scared the life out of me this afternoon, she said. You and your bristly beard and those wild eyes. Wild eyes? That was ridiculous. What was she trying to do? Break down his reserve with cuteness? What do you look like under all those whiskers, she asked. Nothing, he said. Just an ordinary face. How old are you, Robert? It was the first time she'd spoken his name. It gave him a strange, restless feeling to hear a woman speak his name after so long. Don't call me that, he almost said to her. He didn't want to lose the distance between them. If she were infected and he couldn't cure her, he wanted it to be a stranger that he put away. You don't have to talk to me if you don't want to, she said quietly. I won't bother you. I'll go tomorrow. But, he said, I don't want to spoil your life, she said. You don't have to feel any obligation to me just because we're the only ones left. He felt a brief stirring of guilt at her words. Why should I doubt her, he told himself. If she's infected, she'll never get away alive. What's there to fear? I'm sorry, he said. I've been alone a long time. If you'd like to talk, I'll be glad to tell you anything I can. She looked at him, her eyes not committing themselves at all. I would like to know about the disease, she said. I lost my two girls because of it, and it caused my husband's death. He looked at her and then spoke. It's a bacillus, he said. It creates an isotonic solution in the blood, circulates the blood slower than normal, activates all bodily functions, lives on fresh blood. Deprived of blood, it makes self-killing bacteriophages or else sporulates. She looked blank. Terms so common to him now were completely foreign to her. Well, he said, most of those things aren't so important. Quickly he told her about the imperfect waste disposal of the lymphatic system, the garlic as allergen causing anaphylaxis, the various vectors of the disease. Then why are we immune, she asked. With a shrug, he said, I don't know about you. As for me, while I was stationed in Panama during the war, I was bitten by a vampire bat. And though I can't prove it, my theory is that the bat had previously encountered a true vampire, and acquired the vampirist germ. The germ caused the bat to seek human rather than animal blood. But by the time the germ had passed into my system, it had been weakened in some way by the bat system. It made me terribly ill, of course, but it didn't kill me, and as a result my body built up an immunity to it. That's my theory, anyway. I can't find any better reason. But didn't the same thing happen to others down there? I don't know he said quietly. I killed the bat. She looked at him without a word, her surveillance making Neville feel restive. He went on talking even though he didn't really want to. At first I thought the stake had to hit their hearts, he said. I believed the legend. I found out that wasn't so. I put stakes in all parts of their bodies and they died. That made me think it was hemorrhage. But then one day... And he told her about the woman who had decomposed before his eyes. 
I knew then it couldn't be hemorrhage, he went on, feeling a sort of pleasure in reciting his discoveries. I didn't know what to do. Then one day it came to me. What? she asked. I took a dead vampire. I put his arm into an artificial vacuum. I punctured his arm inside that vacuum. Blood spurted out, but that's all. When I let the air back into the tank, the arm decomposed, he said. You see, the bacillus lives with or without oxygen, but with a difference. Inside the system, it is anaerobic and sets up a symbiosis with the system. The vampire feeds it fresh blood. The bacteria provides the energy so the vampire can get more fresh blood. The germ also causes, I might add, the growth of the canine teeth. Yes, she said. When air enters, he said, the situation changes. The germ becomes aerobic, and instead of being symbiotic, it becomes virulently parasitic. He paused. It eats the host. Then the steak, she started. Let's air in, of course. Let's it in and keeps the flesh open so the body glue can't function, so the heart has nothing to do with it. What I do now is cut the wrists deep enough so the body glue can't work. He smiled a little. When I think of all the time I used to spend making steaks. She nodded and noticing the wine glass in her hand, put it down. That's why the woman I told you about broke down so rapidly. She'd been dead so long that as soon as air struck her system, the germs caused spontaneous dissolution. It's horrible, she said. He looked at her in surprise. Horrible. Wasn't that odd? He hadn't thought that for years. For him, the word horror had become obsolete. The situation merely existed as natural fact. It had no adjectives. And what about the ones who are still alive, she asked. When you cut their wrists, the germ naturally becomes parasitic, but mostly they die from simple hemorrhage. Simple? What's the matter? he asked. Nothing, nothing, she said. He smiled. One gets used to these things, he said. One has to, believe me. It's the only thing I can do. Is it better to let them die of the disease and return in a far more terrible way? But you said a lot of them are still living, she said nervously. How do you know they're not going to stay alive? I know the germ. No matter how long their systems fight it, in the end it will win. I've made antibiotics, injected dozens of them, but it doesn't work when they're already deep in the disease. Their bodies can't fight germs and make antibiotics at the same time. It can't be done, believe me. If I didn't kill them sooner or later, they'd die and come after me. I have no choice, no choice at all. They were silent then, and the only sound in the room was the rasping of the needle on the inner grooves of the record. It was strange, he thought, to find himself vaguely on the defensive for what yesterday was accepted necessity. In the years that had passed, he had never once considered the possibility that he was wrong. It took her presence to bring about such thoughts, and they were strange, alien thoughts. 
Do you actually think I'm wrong? He asked in an incredulous voice. It's not for me to say, she said. Verge! The dark form recoiled against the wall as Robert Neville's hoarse cry ripped open the silent blackness. Verge! he said again, weakly, shakily. Verge? It's, it's me, the faltering voice said in the darkness. He took a trembling step toward the thin stream of light spearing through the open peephole. She gasped as he put his hand out and clutched her shoulder. It's Ruth, Ruth, she said in a terrified whisper. He stood there in the darkness, eyes gazing without comprehension at the dark form before him. It's Ruth, she said again. Waking came like a hose blast of numbing shock. It wasn't Verge. He stood there staring, weighted beneath a sudden depression. He looked at the open peephole, then back at her. What are you doing? he asked, voice still thick with sleep. Nothing, she said nervously. I couldn't sleep. He blinked his eyes suddenly at the flaring lamplight. Then his hands dropped down from the lamp switch, and he turned around. She was against the wall, blinking at the light, her hands drawn into tight fists. Why are you dressed? I couldn't sleep. Through the open peephole he heard them yelling, and he heard Cortman shout, Come out! Never! Moving to the peephole, he pushed the small wooden door shut and turned to her. You were going to leave while I was still asleep? No, I... Were you? She gasped as he grabbed her wrist. No, no, she said quickly. How could I, with them out there? Abruptly, he dropped her arm and turned away. She said nothing as he poured a tumbler full of whiskey and swallowed it convulsively. Verge, he thought miserably, still with me. Was that her name? He heard Ruth ask. Go to bed, he said in a dead voice. She drew back a little. I'm sorry, she said. I didn't mean... Suddenly he knew he didn't want her to go to bed. He wanted her to stay with him. He didn't want to be alone. I thought you were my wife, he heard himself saying. He drank a mouthful of whiskey. Ruth stayed in the shadows, listening. She came back, you see, he said. I buried her, but one night she came back. She looked like... like you did. An outline, a shadow. Dead. But she came back. I tried to keep her with me. I tried. But she wasn't the same anymore. You see, all she wanted was... He forced down the sob in his throat. My own wife, he said in a trembling voice, coming back to drink my blood. I put her away again. I had to do the same thing to her I'd done to the others. My own wife. There was a clicking in his throat. A stake, he said in a terrible voice. I had to put a stake in her. It was the only thing I knew to do. I... He couldn't finish. 
He stood there a long time, shivering helplessly, eyes tightly shut. Then he spoke again. Almost three years ago I did that, and I still remember it. It's still with me. What can you do? What can you do? He drove a fist down on the bar top as the anguish of memory swept over him again. He ran shaking fingers through his hair. I know what you feel. I know. I didn't at first. I didn't trust you. I was safe, secure in my little shell. Now... He shook his head slowly, defeatedly. In a second, it's all gone. Adjustment, security, peace. All gone. Robert. Her voice was as broken and lost as his. Why are we being punished like this? she asked. He drew in a shuddering breath. I don't know, he answered bitterly. There's no answer, no reason. It just is. She was close to him now, and suddenly, without hesitation or drawing back, he drew her against him, and they were two people holding each other tightly in the lost measure of night. Robert, Robert. Her hands rubbed over his back, stroking and clutching, while his arms held her firmly, and he pressed his eyes shut against her warm, soft hair. Their mouths held together for a long time, and her arms gripped with desperate tightness around his neck. Then they were sitting in the darkness, pressing close together, as if all the heat in the world were in their bodies, and they would share the warmth between them. I'm sorry, Ruth. Sorry for being so cruel to you, for not trusting you. She was silent, holding tight. Oh, Robert, she said then, it's so unfair. Why are we still alive? It would be better if we were all dead. Shh, shh, he said, feeling emotion for her like a released current pouring from his heart and mind. It'll be all right. How can it? It will, he said, even though he knew he really couldn't believe it. He didn't know how long it was they sat there holding each other close. He forgot everything, time and place. It was just the two of them together, needing each other, survivors of a black terror, embracing because they had found each other. Come, he said. We'll check you. Don't be afraid. I'm sure we won't find anything. But if we do, I'll cure you. I swear. I'll cure you, Ruth. I won't hurt you, I promise. Let's find out for sure. Then we can plan and work. I'll save you, Ruth, I will. Or I'll die myself. She was still tense, holding back. Come with me, Ruth. He led her into the bedroom. And when he saw in the lamplight how frightened she was, he pulled her close and stroked her hair. It's all right, he said. No matter what we find, it'll be all right. Don't you understand? He sat her down on the stool, and her face was completely blank, her body shuddering as he heated the needle over a Bunsen flame. He bent over and kissed her on the cheek. It's all right now, 
he said gently. It's all right. She closed her eyes as he jabbed in the needle. He pressed out the blood and rubbed it on the slide. There, there, he said anxiously, pressing a little cotton to the nick on her finger. He felt himself trembling helplessly. No matter how he tried to control it, he couldn't. His fingers were almost incapable of making the slide, and he kept looking at Ruth and smiling at her, trying to take the look of taut fright from her features. Don't be afraid, he said. She sat without a word, looking at him with listless eyes as he worked. Her hands kept stirring restlessly in her lap. What will you do if I am, she said then. I'm not sure, he said. Not yet, but there are a lot of things we can do. What? Vaccines, for one. You said vaccines don't work, she said, her voice shaking a little. Yes, but... He broke off as he slid the glass slide onto the microscope. Robert, what could you do? She slid off the stool as he bent over the microscope. Robert, don't look, she begged suddenly, her voice pleading. But he'd already seen. He didn't realize that his breath had stopped. His blank eyes met hers. Ruth, he whispered in a shocked voice. The wooden mallet crashed down on his forehead. A burst of pain filled Robert Neville's head, and he felt one leg give way. As he fell to one side, he knocked over the microscope. His right knee hit the floor, and he looked up in dazed bewilderment at her fright-twisted face. The mallet came down again, and he cried out in pain. He fell to both knees, and a hundred miles away he heard her gasping sob. "'I told you not to!' she cried." He clutched at her legs, and she drove the mallet down a third time, this time on the back of his skull. Robert Neville's hands went limp and slid off her calves, rubbing away part of the tan. He fell on his face, and his fingers drew convulsively as night filled his brain. When he opened his eyes, there was no sound in the house. He lay there looking confusedly at the floor. Then, with a grunt, he sat up. A package of needles exploded in his head, and he slumped down, hands pressed to his throbbing skull. After a few minutes, he pulled himself up by gripping the edge of the bench. A minute later, he managed to stumble into the bathroom. There, he threw cold water on his face and sat on the bathtub, pressing a cold, wet cloth to his forehead. What had happened? He kept blinking and staring at the white-tiled floor. He stood up and walked slowly into the living room. It was empty. The front door stood half open in the gray of early morning. She was gone. Then he remembered. He struggled back to the bedroom, using the walls to guide him. The note was on the bench next to the overturned microscope. He picked up the paper with numbed fingers and carried it to the bed. Sinking down, he held the letter before his eyes, but the letters blurred and ran. He shook his head and pressed his eyes shut. After a little while, he read, Robert, now you know. Know I was spying on you. Know that almost everything I told you was a lie. I'm writing this note, though, because I want to save you if I can. When I was first given the job of spying on you, I had no feelings about your life. 
because I did have a husband, Robert. You killed him. But now it's different. I know now that you were just as much forced into your situation as we were forced into ours. We are infected, but you already know that. What you don't understand yet is that we're going to stay alive. We found a way to do that and we're going to set up a society again, slowly but surely. We're going to do away with all those wretched creatures whom death has cheated. And even though I pray otherwise, we may decide to kill you and those like you. Those like me? He thought with a start. But he kept reading. I'll try to save you. I'll tell them you're too well armed for us to attack now. Use the time I'm giving you, Robert. Get away from your house. Go into the mountains and save yourself. There are only a handful of us now, but sooner or later we'll be too well organized, and nothing I say will stop the rest from destroying you. For God's sake, Robert, go now while you can. I know you may not believe this. You may not believe that we can live in the sun for short periods now. You may not believe that my tan was only makeup. You may not believe that we can live with the germ now. That's why I'm leaving one of my pills. I took them all the time I was here. I kept them in a belt around my waist. You'll discover that they're a combination of defibrinated blood and a drug. I don't know myself just what it is. The blood feeds the germs. The drug prevents its multiplication. It was the discovery of this pill that saved us from dying that is helping to set up society again, slowly. Believe me, it's true, and escape. Forgive me for having to lie to you about so many things, but please believe this. When we were together in the darkness, close to each other, I wasn't spying on you. I was loving you. Ruth. He read the letter again. He couldn't believe it. He shook his head slowly and tried to understand, but adjustment eluded him. He felt as if all the security of reason were ebbing away from him. The framework of his life was collapsing, and it frightened him. Yet how did he refute the evidence, the pill, the tan coming off her leg, her walking in the sun, her reaction to garlic? Slowly, ploddingly, his mind went over the evidence. When he'd first seen her, she'd run from him. Had it been a ruse? No, she'd been genuinely frightened. She must have been startled by his cry and forgotten all about her job. Then later, when she'd calmed down, she'd talked him into thinking her reaction to garlic was the reaction of a sick stomach. And she had lied and smiled and feigned hopeless acceptance and carefully got all the information she'd been sent after. And when she'd wanted to leave... She couldn't because of Cortman and the others. He had awakened then. They had embraced. They had... His white-knuckled fist jolted down on the bench. I was loving you. Lie. Lie. His fingers crumpled up the letter and flung it away bitterly. Rage made the pain in his head flare hotly, and he pressed both hands against it and closed his eyes with a groan. The rest of her letter wasn't a lie. He knew that. 
Without the pill, without any evidence of word or memory, he knew. He knew what even Ruth and her people didn't seem to know. He looked into the eyepiece for a long time. Yes, he knew, and the admission of what he saw changed his entire world. How stupid and ineffective he felt, especially after reading the phrase a thousand times. But then, he never really appreciated it. Such a short phrase it was, but meaning so much. Bacteria can mutate. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.